it was beautiful outside, like absolutely gorgeous. It wasn't too hot for a fall day. It wasn't too cold for a fall day. I remember a blue, blue sky. I remember clouds in the sky, but not too many. I remember fall, but, you know, there was still like blooming in Texas. I remember being not exhausted, even though I was a teacher. So it was like my grades were due. It was the the first term, first six weeks grades were due that week, but I wasn't really stressed, which I remember going, man, this is so different because it was my first time as a virtual teacher and it was our first grading period. So report cards were about to come out. I'm like, you know, getting all my grading in, I'm getting in all these like notes to students and answering emails about extra credit and all that last minute panic to get their grades up. Like I remember all these things. And what I didn't know is that that this was going to be an, a life altering day. Mm-hmm. There was a very long season where I hated Tuesdays. I hated Tuesdays. I hated the fourth of every month. I But it it was just an absolutely normal day until about eight o'clock. Thank you for stopping by my podcast, Finding God in Our Pain. Welcome. Hi, I'm your host, Sherry Pilkington. In this podcast, you'll hear firsthand stories of how the God of the Holy Bible meets real people in their real pain. We look at the good God we profess through the lens of pain and suffering. I'm processing the most painful season of my life after unexpectedly losing Larry, my husband of 32 years. In my journey, I've discovered that there are many types of deaths. Maybe you've asked God, how could you let this happen? Why me? Where are you, God? Do you even care? What am I supposed to do with my life now? Here at Finding God in Our Pain, we don't shy away from the tough questions. I ask them to my guests. I share what I've experienced. We give real examples of how God shows up in the darkest, most painful situations in life. May the stories that you hear and the advice you receive encourage you to engage the heart of God about your painful places or memories or experiences or even your unmet expectations. Lean in close to God's heart because he speaks beautiful things in the dark. My guest author, Jennifer Eichenhurst, knows a depth of sorrow I pray I never know. She knows the reality of causing someone's accidental death. She's been on a healing journey ever since that fateful day in October of 2014, a journey that has spanned the full gamut of human suffering as she struggled and grappled with trying to make sense of what she used to know and who she used to be, tangled with the reality of what she's forced to know in every area of her existence. She's recently published a book about her journey titled Left Turn, Life Unimagined. Unimagined indeed. The scope of all that this tragedy seeps into is nothing shy of every facet of her life and the lives of others. Her heart and the hearts of everyone affected have been shattered in countless ways. Jennifer takes full responsibility for the accidental death of David, a motorcyclist that she did not see after stopping at a stop sign. She has an incredibly humble posture in the position of having taken the life of another human being. Additionally, she has great compassion for those who find themselves in the same exact position as her having accidentally caused the death of another person. I'm not quite sure why I find the topic of forgiveness so intriguing, but when Jennifer and I were able to get our schedules together for this conversation, I knew that she would provide us with an incredible glimpse into the heart of God and his forgiveness. 
And in her case, not only God's forgiveness, but the hope for forgiveness from David's family, her children's forgiveness because they were in the car at the time of the accident, her husband's forgiveness, whom she withdrew from feeling unlovable and unworthy, forgiveness from, from her community, her church, her job, not to mention having to forgive herself. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. We ran out of time before we had a chance to talk about the legal process that Texas has in place and the way it added to the devastation. As we talked, the layers that were affected by David's death just boggled my mind. From the moment of impact, the repercussions would be felt in both her life as well as David's life. They didn't know each other prior to that moment in the intersection. And despite the fact that David didn't survive the tragic accident, Jennifer will never forget him or his family, and nor does she want to. I'm going to keep this intro short. I'm finding it difficult to put into words the beauty and the wisdom that Jennifer has to offer because of what God has walked her through. You're going to have to hear it yourself so that you can absorb this life-changing information about the heart of God. As hard as it was for Jennifer to come to grips with what had happened, she knew that this situation had to pass through God's hands and receive approval. So she had to face the fact that God in his sovereignty had allowed it. In an effort to trust him with his purpose behind allowing it, she asked God to show her how he had prepared her for this moment. And she shares the various ways that he confirmed for her that he had indeed prepared her and that he would see her through. Part of God's redemption for Jennifer was to connect her with Jada Pinkett Smith as a guest on her show, Red Table Talk. The Red Table Talk website describes the show where we tackle current social and cultural issues with an intergenerational perspective. Jennifer's time on the show gave her the opportunity to share the tragedy she was experiencing and how the God of the Holy Bible made all the difference. Jennifer mentions that the Red Table Talk show has approximately 5 million viewers, and I do see where they have 11 million followers on Facebook. I can't help but think about how amazing God is in the redemption process. God has also put Jennifer in the path of people whom she randomly passes, and she's able to give an encouraging word for healing as well as provide resources that can help. We talked about so many things, and that's why this audio ran over my preferred one-hour max, but you will not be disappointed with the message that Jennifer has to share. As we closed, I asked her the final question. Was there any one thing she'd want to share with our listeners today? Her response echoed her compassion and the empathy that you'll hear throughout the entire conversation. She didn't plead her case. You'll never hear her sidestep or avoid taking responsibility for the accidental death of David. Instead, she takes the posture of a surrogate of sorts and offers an apology to anyone who needs to hear, I'm sorry, from someone like her. This conversation will give your heart courage to trust God, especially when life makes no sense and ending it all sounds more appealing. Let's listen in to find out what beautiful things God spoke to Jennifer in her very dark valley. Jennifer, I am so glad you're here today for many reasons, but one is that we've tried to connect on and off since early 2021, so I'm excited to have this opportunity with you, so welcome. Oh, thank you. I think, you know, it's so funny how the Lord's timing is, but but I'm glad it's always purposeful, right? So maybe what would have been, we're always learning and growing, so what the conversation would have looked like before maybe looked different now, so thank you for having me. 
You're so welcome. What you're saying resonates with me because even as time goes by and you continue to talk about your story, process it, share that testimony, God gives revelation in newer, Mm. different ways and different levels. And so now there's more depth and you have a book that you wrote around this. So there's even more content and a deeper way of understanding your story. And that's through your book, which is titled Left Turn, Life Unimagined. And in it, There's a sentence that you wrote that I can't even fathom, and it's the core of what intrigues me about our conversation today. You wrote, life after an accident with fatality is one of the most complex human entanglements that I can imagine. And because of that true statement, another reason that I'm elated to have you here is because of your heart to heal others who have gone through life altering, devastating situations such as yours when everything you knew, whether It's about your life, yourself, your world gets flipped upside down and shattered at the same time. In moments like that, the question comes to mind, how will you ever be able to put it back together again? But the depth of your story really lends itself more to how will you ever find all the pieces again? Would you start us off with what was the day like before you knew that it was going to change forever? Oh, gosh, you know, I go to that day a lot. I mean, it was a random Tuesday, you know, but yet I don't know if it was the goodness of God, but he's given me this beautiful, it used to be very painful because I could go to this beautiful day that we had had a normal day. There wasn't like a day for the record books. It was a normal day, but yet I can remember things that I did that weekend. I can remember things that happened that day, like meetings. I remember being at my daughter's volleyball game. I remember leaving the volleyball game and going to swim practice. It was beautiful outside, like absolutely gorgeous. It wasn't too hot for a fall day. It wasn't too cold for a fall day. I remember a blue, blue sky. I remember clouds in the sky, but not too many. I remember fall, but, you know, there was still like blooming in Texas. I remember being not exhausted, even though I was a teacher. So it was like my grades were due. It was the the first term first six weeks grades were due that week, but I wasn't really stressed, which I remember going, man, this is so different because it was my first time as a virtual teacher and it was our first grading period. So report cards were about to come out. I'm like, you know, getting all my grading in, I'm getting in all these like notes to students and answering emails about extra credit and all that last minute panic to get their grades up. Like I remember all these things. And what I didn't know is that that this was going to be an, a life-altering day. Mm-hmm. There was a very long season where I hated Tuesdays. I hated Tuesdays. I hated the fourth of every month. I, But it, it was just an absolutely normal day until about 8 o'clock. The sun had just gone down, and my daughter was going to be brought to me at the YMCA where my boys had swim practice. And that was the plan all day because she had a volleyball game while the boys had practice. I mean, you can't be in two places at one time, you know, and my husband's a coach. So he was on the football field. So he's out. And a mom was like, oh, I've got Katie. I'll get her fed, get her to you. That's what you do as moms. You help each other out. You have this village and plans change literally 10 minutes before the accident. I 
And and I do want to say before we dive in, like this is a very sensitive subject and I'm talking to you now. It happened October 4th of 2016 and I am almost to my seventh year of, and to even say that is just, just the grace of God. I never thought I would be here where I am now. So when you hear me speak about it, this is lots of work. Lots and lots of prayer, lots and lots of crying out, lots and lots of lament, lots of therapy, and talking about this really tragic situation. So if you hear joy in my voice, I praise God for that because it wasn't always here. Even when you and I talked in 2021, I wasn't where I am now, right? I'm even more wiser, even two more years in. So I do want to say that, but it was a beautiful day. And in 10 minutes, it was just a simple one mom saying, hey, we're running by our house before we come to you. I hadn't planned on doing that. I want to let you know I'm going to be late. And me saying, oh, don't get back out. If you're going home, then then I'll come get her instead. I don't want you to have to get back out. And that little exchange changed everything. But, you know, we know that that was not a surprise to the Lord. And that takes also a lot of work and a lot of diving in. Yeah, Yeah. a lot of pressing in, a lot of trusting. And the only reason I know that is because as you hear my story and I've been able to reflect and I've been able to trust God in this circumstance, I see all the provision. So I know in my heart with all peace that, that that was always the plan. Even though I thought the plan was her, she was going to bring her to me. Now I understand. And at about 8.03 p.m., life turned upside down for so many people. I had an accident with a motorcyclist. His name was David. And we were able to revive him at the scene. I was certain that he would make it because God is faithful. I am the designated prayer warrior of my family. <laughs> Always have been since like a little girl. I used to play for, pray for the meals at family gatherings. I mean, just felt like that was always my calling and my my gift, right? My spiritual gift. So I was just certain that he would make it and he didn't. Mm-hmm. He didn't. He passed away two days later. And then that became my greatest heartbreak, my my greatest pain, and, and it affected so many people, so many people. One of the things that I'm keenly interested in is your forgiveness journey, because when I learned of your story, I immediately thought how complicated this must be, if only for the fact that we can suffocate in unforgiveness, and whether that be forgiving yourself, people forgiving you, and God's forgiveness. Now, granted, the prior to can't be compared to God's forgiveness, but it's still a reality in this dark valley. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Like forgiveness of other people? I guarantee you, you were attacked about that, hopefully just verbally, but who knows that's somebody lost somebody. Right. And, and it is a touchy, I mean, it is touchy and we're all on our own journey, just like with grief, you know, there's a part of forgiveness within grief and you're all on your own journey it's the really the work you have to do with the Lord. So for me, and I'm, so I'm just speaking for me, it's, it is all those parts. It is forgiveness of 
my situation, like wrestling with the Lord, like, hey, I'm a good person, God. I've loved you my whole life. I've proclaimed you as good and as Lord and that that there's a purpose for my life. And then, wait, in this book, it says that I'm going to kill an innocent man, that I am at fault for hurting someone else innocently and not just him, but his children. So there's that forgiveness of situation. There's the forgiveness of my limitations as a human, understanding that I am living in a broken world and I am going to fall short. And my circumstance looks different than a lot of people, but having that understanding and having to wrestle with myself and understanding that I am never going to be enough without the Holy Spirit. So that's where I need to, I have to come to the well. I have to dive into God's spirit because I'm not enough. I, I did do this thing and it is a daily, it is a daily thing that I have to, it'll never go away is what I'm trying to say. There is the complexity of like, there's a whole nother family, a mother who lost a son, you know, a, a father who lost a son, a brother who lost a brother, children who lost their father. Their journey of forgiveness is going to look different than my journey of forgiveness. And yet God loves us both, loves us all. He covers us all. That's incredibly complex. Like what can I be accountable for? What can I make sure that I'm doing right in the Lord's eyes? Where do I need to humble myself? But I always take that into consideration that we're all on our own separate journey of forgiveness, forgiving myself or forgiving people who were grieving. I mean, there there's layers of it. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm going to be constantly learning about it. But the one thing that I have learned is in order to experience forgiveness, we really do have to forgive others to understand our own forgiveness. When I am closed off to the idea of forgiveness within my own life, so thinking back of people who have hurt me, thinking back to the people that maybe where I felt did me wrong or something like that. And I held bitterness or resentment or withheld love or placed judgment on that. If I stay in that mindset, it is incredibly difficult to accept God's forgiveness of me. If I am looking at my brother and still holding on to something where I can't trust God with that thing that happened to me, then how in the world can I open my heart to understand and fully accept that God forgives me for my humanness Mm -hmm. and how that really is connected? And how if I held on to unforgiveness, one, I'm dis, I'm, I am just, I don't want to say disconnected, but sort of to what Jesus did on the cross for us all, right? I'm, I'm rejecting that theory. If I don't accept forgiveness and believe that even I, a person who killed an innocent man who's responsible for that, can be forgiven, then I am closing off my mind and my heart to the fact that Jesus died for all sin. 
That's a good point. But it is such a slippery slope. You can't have both, though. You can't have both. And that's also in scripture. I mean, like, so the the gospel came alive in a way. And my grace for others. Now, I'm not a doormat. You know, you can still have boundaries and you can still have accountability to people and you can come to someone and and, you know, pray for them. But my understanding of that, of how we are all human and how God sees sin all the same, why he says he does that, why God uses people who are fault, you know, like if you look at Moses and you dig into Moses, the man, the man also killed an Egyptian. And then he was shamed by his fellow Israelites. Like, oh, are you getting on to me? Because I saw you kill that Egyptian. Are you going to kill me? And then Moses flees. But all of that is part of like, part of who God used and why he used him. And, you know, you look at David and his jealousy and adultery and how he was, I mean, like, so we have these examples within the Bible to help us navigate the fact that if we trust God ultimately with with the story of our life and we trust that his word is true and we believe that Jesus died on the cross for all sin, then forgiveness is an absolute. And it is so hard and you may have to do it daily, but it should be something that guides us absolutely Otherwise, we can't reach our full potential in Christ. We can't reach our full identity in Christ. We can't love others the way we will hope to without the forgiveness. And the world right now is saying the opposite. Like, oh, you can say bye. You can say, "Uh uh-uh. If it doesn't feel good to you, you know, you can close off people. And is that what God's saying to you? I don't know. That's probably a whole different show. But um, right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but forgiveness is always, it is a journey I'm on, continue, but it's taught me so much through this accident and the trauma and how much I've grown over the last few years. And it certainly is something that I always think about when I speak, because there are two sides to this story. And just where I am at in this doesn't mean that that's where another family is. Just because I'm here right now doesn't mean that my children who watched me walk through a trauma right now, we're kind of going through those consequences of, you know, I have a son that's acting out. Well, when I went through this time of depression and things were really difficult and we didn't know what was going to happen, we didn't know that we would ever see 2023. It was so hard. We couldn't see that far in advance. You know, we have real, real repercussions with that, with anger and he's walking away from his faith and, and things like that. So there's even my children having to forgive me that I walked through this season and I made, I made mistakes in my depression. So every single person, even the people that are walking in a family through a circumstance, they're all on their own journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're and they're all, they have one God who's ready to love on each of them in their own unique way. And that that's what's so beautiful about it. The challenge may be that we would let him love Mm -hmm. on us. When you talk about your forgiveness journey and forgiving yourself, if you can isolate any one thing, what was 
transformational for you that God revealed to you, maybe through scripture, maybe a download in the spirit when you were worshiping? What is something about forgiving yourself, a tool? I think the the main thing was seeking that revelation that I have wronged people before before this. There was a time in my, that that God brought to my, my forethought and I was sitting with my mom. I can't pinpoint the exact time of when I did this, but I was sitting at my kitchen table and my mom and I were discussing an accident that involved a, a husband dying. And there was a man that was not even supposed to be driving. Some reason he had had his license revoked or his license was expired, something like that. Like I said, that part, I don't know, but I know that he had a blowout. His car that he was driving had a blowout. So that's not intentional, right? Right. But if he was not driving when he wasn't supposed to be. So here is where it gets complicated. So the tire is not his fault. His car then kills a father of four. Okay. And then there is a widow and there is four children having to navigate this. And I remember specifically sitting at my kitchen table and talking to my mother and saying, I don't know what I would do if that was Chris. And my mother said, oh, if something happened to you or your sister, I think I would pursue it as far as whatever I could do. I would pursue that person. And we were sitting there just venting and being angry for the widow and sticking up for her. And we were just in it. And we were, some reason, we, I remember this conversation and the emotions it stirred. There was no thought of that driver in with compassion. There was direct, very much judgment. There was no mercy. But yet, what I did not know is that in a few months or a year, whenever that, I would be begging for mercy. I would sit in the same table as that man who was driving with an expired driver's license that had the blowout. And I would share space with him. And that revelation convicted me. But it also opened my eyes to how much, you know, did I open a door for the enemy that day at the kitchen? I don't know. But is there a reason that God brought it to my attention? 100%. And I still, I mean, like I'm, I'm tearing up thinking about, I can remember There are so many things I can't remember. Like, I can't remember what I had for lunch yesterday, you know, (laughs) but there are some things that has to be supernatural because they were so well preserved in my memory where I have this recall and I prayed for it. I asked God to show me how he knew that this was going to happen so that I could trust him with it. And he revealed things to me that there were things within my life, just snapshots, really important things to show that he was there the entire way to help me trust it, but also to make me a better person. So that was really huge for me to say, Lord, show me, show me where this was part of the plan because I don't understand. I totally, without judgment, understand that there's persecution in this. 
I 100% want you to be upset for David's family. I hope that you can have compassion for me and mine, but I also understand there is a pendulum. There is two sides to this story. And that's where as Christians, I feel like as we become more mature in Christ, as we are seeking to know him deeper, we're going to have to have some really hard conversations with ourselves and with the Holy Spirit to see how we're not very much different after all. That's such a profound rabbit hole to go down (laughs) as far as thinking that we're better or our sin is less or that we would never do that. I would never rob anyone. I would never, but they say, someone in that same position under those same circumstances. We don't know what we would do. Yeah. And, and when yeah. we're talking to our version of ourselves and it, it is just truly why we have to know that we have a creator mm. and that our thoughts are not his thoughts. Our ways are not his ways. Yes. Because when you have to ponder and we kind of touched on it a minute ago, the idea that he allowed it, that's a hard pill to swallow. Because we profess a good God that doesn't feel so good sometimes. And how do you make sense of that? We have an enemy of our soul. We have free will and choice and how we make those choices. But God ultimately knows the bigger picture and he's going to walk us through those sufferings. But we have the ultimate choice, like sitting here today and talking with you now. I could have closed off my heart. I could have hid in my in, in my home and stayed bound to shame and guilt. Okay, I could have succumbed to depression. I could have chose to pretend like this testimony doesn't exist and try to paint this other picture, but really have almost a cancer inside because I'm not using the testimony that God gave me. Yeah. So I still have a choice and I am tempted all the time to be like, you know, just stop talking about it. Just, just move on, make it a secret. Maybe, maybe if you just hear about someone, then only say something. Those are still temptations and still going like, Lord, is this you? Do I share out of selfish ambition or for attention? Or is this you? Like, I have to constantly check myself in that walk too. That would probably be wisdom for any of us to self-check along the way as we go through a day. So it sounds like you have been able to come to a place that you have forgiven yourself. Yeah, I, yeah, I do. And I've, I've wrestled with, it's complicated because in my, in my human mind, I did everything that I could do. Right. I mean, I, I did stop at the stop sign. I wasn't paying attention to how far back or how close I was to the stop sign. I mean, should I forgive myself for that? Maybe. And that's where that human limitation is. I've forgiven myself for being complacent. I didn't treat that country road like a like a roaring intersection of a city where it was congested. I, I literally was just like, oh, it's peaceful and quiet. No one's out here on this country road. And I didn't treat it the way I treat every single intersection now, every time. We've got one like that here at where I live in a rural section. People get hit all the time. Right. And we have to remember, especially where you live, where you're most comfortable, 
that's where you're most vulnerable because our guard is down. And what is the enemy? The enemy is the roaring lion ready. He is watching and lurking. You have to remember, like, what's interesting about this, and I haven't even had the opportunity to write about it. It's going to come in the second book. But a similar situation actually happened to me it was before my last child was born. When you pray for revelation, God's going to give you revelation. I was at the library and I was dropping off books. And the only thing I know is that Haven had not been born. So it was before 2012 and my accident happened in 2016. And I was at the library, had dropped off books at the book drop, got back into my van and started to back up. And I look in my rear view mirror. So this is before backup cameras. I look in my rear view mirror and all I see is a mom with the look of absolute terror. Absolute. She's running towards me, her arms stretched out, just screaming in absolute terror. And I like slam on my brake out of reverse and put it in park and I get out. And there I find a woman holding her two-year-old, like a toddler, just absolutely undone, bawling, holding, rocking this child that I could not see in the rearview mirror. It gives me chills to think about this. I remember just putting my arms around this woman who is on the pavement on a hot day, holding her baby, just rocking. She can't even stand. She can't even stand up. And I say, he's okay. He's okay. He's okay. You're okay. And she is just beside herself. She was witnessing what almost would have been a horrific tragedy. And I would have also been involved in that. But God had plans for that child and he intervened, Mm. but it was so close. They were literally right at my bumper, right at my van. Wow. Wow. And I just remember they had dark brown hair and I just remember holding both of them, rocking both of them. I don't remember getting her from the pavement to her car. I'm sure I stood there. I'm sure I did. I don't remember how long it took me to get my nerves settled down. Right. Getting back from the library to the house. I don't remember that. But in praying for revelation and asking God to just help me understand and trust, he has given me these little nuggets to be like, I was there the whole time. Mm -hmm. The enemy has tried to, to attack you. I don't know why it was different. You know, I don't know. I'll never know. I'll never understand. But I do know that this has happened. I wasn't negligent in the library and I wasn't negligent at that stop sign either. But I had two different outcomes. God allows it this time and it's an adult male. I just have to trust. I just have learned this incredible because of the faithfulness over and over again to just trust God. Mm. Stop asking why and just saying, okay, what, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's a good point. Transitioning from why to what, why Mm -hmm. God to what God. Mm -hmm. When you think about surrender, what's terrifying about that option? We're realizing we don't have a lot of control. 
we are realizing that we can make all these plans. We can have the best of intentions, but there are literally so many things that we have to release control to God. So it's a reckoning with the fact that there is absolutely no control on our part. Well, unless our choices. So yeah, that's a quite a, a hard pill to swallow as well is that you have no control. You are not in control, but God is. I mean, you can think you're in control. I mean, we can dive pretty deep into my rabbit hole. <laughs> so everybody take a deep breath. Who's listening? <laughs> you know, you take a deep breath. But if we think about it, God used Pharaoh's heart to be hardened, to show his work. He wanted those miracles to take place. He hardened his heart so that the plagues could come. There were steps that had to be taken. We are sometimes, without even thinking, our hearts become hardened. And and we can even be like, man, I'm really struggling to forgive. My heart is so hardened to this situation. And we know it because we know God. We know his scripture. We know his word. We know what it, and yet we struggle or we love the Lord. We, we, we know our, our consequences to our actions, yet we stumble, yet we fall, yet we, we do X, Y, and Z that may hurt someone else. God is still in control, but he allows things to happen. I think, I think that's what I want to make sure that when I'm communicating is that God is always in control. But he allows the enemy. He's not doing that, that painful thing. God is not saying, oh, you know, I'm going to allow this. No, the destroyer is allowed to do X, Y, and Z. To see if we are going to falter. To see how far that disease of unforgiveness can go, right? Yes, because I think at every point, God's given us an opportunity to turn it around. Turn it around, baby. Turn it around. Yes. And he is cheering us on. The Holy Spirit is saying, I have this opportunity for you. You know, here, here is my word. Trust me with this pain. Allow me to pick up those broken pieces or let me even rework it in your life. But his plan is to use everything, good, bad, ugly, for his glory. But we still have choice and we have an enemy who is constantly trying to pursue us. So it sounds like there there is beauty in surrender and that is Uh, the intimacy with God and growing in knowledge and in just intimacy with God, I guess. I keep coming back to that. There's so much beauty. I mean, I, I heard that, uh, that scripture in Isaiah, oh, beauty from ashes. You know, I've heard the beauty from ashes. There is beauty in the stinking ashes. It is beautiful when someone who has overcome still loves. It is beauty when the person who, you know, is struggling with their health and shows up and smiles. There is beauty in the widow who has just lost the love of her life, but yet finds love again or carries on and doesn't lose faith. There, there is beauty in the prisoner who had one way of life, who accepts Jesus, 
and then comes out of prison, a new creation, just like scripture says. That is inspiring because it is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is the supernatural. It is not the flesh. It is not what we would do without the work of God. Yes, because once Satan attacks you and has his way with you, you, there's no hope to stand back up again under that kind of pain and anguish if it were not for God and his goodness. Because I know it's easy to blame God when things go bad, but he's the only reason why there is anything good in the midst of this life of pain and anguish and suffering and trauma. Right, right. He is. He is the good, good father. And you will wrestle with that. One of the things in the book, there was a spiritual mentor. She was, which is interesting. So my friend Tori, well, her name's Tori in the book. Her real name's Teresa. But Teresa had Katie. Teresa's mom is named Sandy. And I, and I did briefly mention her, I think, in the book. She was the mentor that called me out as the afflicted in the church and sought me out, which is someone that I just, I wanted to hide from anything good. It was just that shame. If I had had mountains to run to like Moses, I get it. Put me in a cave and let me just stay in my own filth because I'm so ashamed. I totally get that. There's no caves in Waco, Texas, but, or, you know, I would have loved to have run to one. So I tried to go to this church service and I talk about it in the book and I tried to hide in the back where it's dark because they're, they're practicing for service. So they're working on the lights, they're working on the dim, you know, and I try to hide and she calls me out and touches my hand. And the moment she touched me and then she spoke life into me, she lifted my chin and said, Jennifer, you have to remember who you are in Christ. And she said, God is not your enemy. Your enemy is your enemy. Call your enemy by his name and call your God good, good father and remember who he is because I had mixed it up. I had mixed it up and we go through life mixing it up. We do. We forget there is an enemy of our soul and yeah, cause you're just, you're walking in it. You're in survival mode, you know, you're, but people that can recognize, Oh no, that's an attack of the enemy and stand on it, mm-hmm. man, that's good, good stuff. And you need to keep people like that in your corner because that's what Miss Sandy was for me that day. She spoke a good, good word into my life. In your depression, you considered suicide. Right. I just didn't want to hurt anymore. Yeah. And there was, I mean, this is a lifelong identity. There is the identity of a woman who is, you know, an instructional coach. I work with teachers and I help at-risk students and I'm a mom of four and I'm married to my husband of 22 years. Like you, you have that identity, right? She's there. You see her right now. You hear her voice, but there is also the part of me who has walked through a lot of bad decisions. You see the part of me that ultimately there is nothing I can do ever do to atone for the fact that I caused David's death. I did not see him. I did not pull up closer to that stop sign and look through all the blind spots. 
I pulled out and he, his life was cut short at the work of my decisions. So that I can never undo that. And unfortunately, it not overpowers the other part of me, but it did for a while. That mm -hmm. identity of what I did tried to take over and and now I walk hand in hand. I am I am both. This is a part of who I am, but but ultimately I am who God says I am. Because yes, Jesus he, sees the redeemed in me. Yes. And because he is that place where we get to lay all the hard stuff of life down, lay right. it at his feet and then let him cover over. I was going to say smooth over, cover over our shortcomings, our failures, our mistakes. Right. But he doesn't want us to gloss over it. He wants to use it to encourage others. We are Good supposed point. to share our burdens. We are supposed to talk about our testimony. Where God shows up, we're supposed to talk about it. We're supposed to talk about it when it's still ugly and you feel like hiding in the cave. Hmm. If we're tough. using our our village, if we are using our our spiritual family in that way, and we are living, living in biblical truth of what the early church said, like, bring it to the elders, come, come to the table, talk about what's going on. Your burden is my burden. I'm carrying this with you. And we live constantly in community. You know, some days you're the, you're the man on the mat being lowered into the house to see Jesus. And sometimes you're the friend carrying the person on the mat and lowering him in. We have to be that for each other. And I thankfully had that. I had that. I'm grateful for that. Those people had to be in place before that ever happened. I had to have those people in place and God knew what I needed. Maybe that's why. I mean, not just the fact that there was a beautiful life for that young baby, you know, that toddler boy, but maybe it's also just having the people in place to know what you can overcome. And I still could have made a choice in that depression. I still had the option to make that choice, but I was so blinded that there was never going to be any help because every time I experience, you know, Father's Day, I got to call my dad. I got to FaceTime him. I got to tell him how much I love him. I am grateful that I got that opportunity, but I know that there are three that couldn't do that. Right. So there's always going to be that. So when I was in the depression, I, there was a lot happening, but I had just thought, oh, this is too big. I will never be able to overcome this, this identity of what I did and my worst day and how I hurt others. That is ultimately going to be who I am. And then I don't deserve peace and happiness. I don't deserve laughter. I don't deserve the affection of my own children because David doesn't get that. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, and if you constantly, oh, there's never going to be a way out. There's not an end to this suffering. And you, you think that and you start to believe that. Well, then it's like I wasn't ready to harm myself in a sense that I had any big plan, but I sure was tempted or I thought that death would be a gift. And I, I really, truly thought that the Lord would, I was just hoping he would let my heart give out because I felt like I would die from a broken heart. I just right. really understood that. And I was just kind of like, Lord, if it's my time to go, just 
least heaven, there's no pain. Right. And uh, if I don't fix my thoughts on the Lord and I allow that voice and those intrusive thoughts to come in and invade, mm-hmm. I could be susceptible to that at any point. Any one of us can. Most definitely, because I think Satan's strategy is to put that wedge between you and God oh, so that he keeps yes. you in that place, that cycle of never thinking it's going to get any better. Right. And that pain is still there. Mm-hmm. I still have a tender spot that 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 truth never goes away. When we have when we do fall short and we can't take it back, we cannot remedy. If you had an affair, you cannot take it back. It happened. God has to walk you through every step and you surrender to him and you daily depend on him to get through it, right? If you made the mistake of an abortion, you can't undo that situation. That is done. But what God says about who you are as a person has not changed because of that decision. You must walk through those same steps depending on him, trusting him, allowing him to say who you are. So we can put X, Y, Z, we can fill in the blank with whatever your sin is. The enemy will say, oh, your sin is too big. Your your sin can't fill in X, Y, Z. And that is the lie. That is the lie. That is a lie because there is no sin that the cross cannot cover. And I know that sounds real simple, right? but it goes very deep. Right. When you start to really look at what that means, what did Christ do on the cross? As we're talking, I'm really a little overwhelmed by each little facet and how it reverberates into so many other people's lives and into so many other pockets, if you will, of who you are and your relationship with Christ and your relationship with people and to your community and to your church and your school families. It it's just incredible. So when I think about you walking through all of that and finding your way with Christ, what were some of the tools that you used, scriptures or maybe music? What helped you take the next step and the next breath? The first step, other than I had a real wake-up call when I when I realized that I just wanted to sleep and I didn't want to wake up. And it just scared me. And I did reach out for a Christian therapist. I did get professional help, but he had never met someone like me. Well, one, he had a one. So there wasn't like a cookie cutter, like we've got some strategies for this. We were navigating, finding my healing, just, <laughs> I don't know, by the grace of God, I don't know, but I did appointment get by appointment. Oh, appointment by, oh, so yeah. many, right? So I think there is a place of that needs to be a priority. There are some things that are big. Get outside trusted help professionally, 100%. I was talking with a friend today and I said, find you a notebook. I grabbed my notebook. I was talking to her. Her marriage is falling apart. You know, they met in Bible college. They love, they both love the Lord And I said, okay, this is totally different grief, (laughs) totally different, but this is all I got because I felt like it was spirit led. And one of the things I did is if I couldn't sleep, instead of just sitting there manifesting and letting the enemy have his way with my thoughts, I would get up and I took my Bible and my journal and went to my closet and I had scriptures 
on post-it notes in that closet. And if it was two o'clock in the morning, it was two o'clock in the morning because I was going to not sleep anyway. I was going to lay there and not sleep. So I could either do it fruitfully or I could, you know, do it the other way. And I did it the other way for a long time. It wasn't getting me anywhere. So I was finally like, like, you know what? Get your bed up and go to the closet so you don't wake anybody else up. Took my Bible, took my 99 cent notebook. And I would write on one side of the page everything that I knew about God. God is forgiving. He is loving. He is unconditional love. He covers all sin. He died for my sin. I'm made new. He is my strength. Whatever I could think of, like, this is the belief that I hold. These are the beliefs that I hold about God. This is what I know to be true. And then on the other side, I would say, what do I know about the enemy? Well, I know the enemy is a liar. I know he is a thief. I know he is here to steal, kill, destroy. I know that he is an accuser. I know that he brings shame. I know that he he is deceptive. I know that he wants to steal my hope. I would write these things. And then I would take the thought, whatever the thought was, and I would just say, Lord, where does it line up? Is this from you or him? And if it's from him, if it cannot fall in under what God is and his truth, his belief, then I have to rebuke it. I have to rebuke it. Okay, Lord, I, I bind that thought. I rebuke it in Jesus' name. You can do like, what is within my control? God, what, what is within you? What is out of my control? I cannot change people's viewpoints on me. I cannot do any great work to atone for for my mistakes. I would exhaust myself. What can I do? I can be accountable. I can confess. I can repent. I can try to do better. I can surrender to the Lord. I can walk in his identity. I can't control those other things. You know, so I have to make physical lists sometimes. That was huge. I took that little notebook with me everywhere. That's a powerful strategy to sit down and look at lies and truths and see what lines up with God and who he is and his value system and vice versa, you know, with Satan. So I think that's a powerful tool in allowing God to speak his truth into those times when you're believing lies and when you're letting your mind run rampant. So there's a lot of value in that as far as I can see. It's why we have to not just be doing damage control, right? Yeah. When when a tragedy, suffering, those things are going to happen. They are going to happen. If you are walking with the Lord, you are going to suffer spiritual attack. You are going to suffer persecution. And Christians, we are walking into an unknown season. Where as we speak truth, we are going to be lied to, we are going to be deceived, we are going to be persecuted. We know that these things are going to happen. That's why it's so important to be on guard and to be proactive and to be surrounded with godly counsel and to have these conversations before the tragedy comes. If I can challenge anyone. There was a time, even just a couple of years ago after COVID, where we kind of stopped going to church. We got into a habit of watching online. And there was a point when I was, I was actually at a book signing. It was after I had my, my book signed. And I kept saying, oh, my church family is still this church family. But I hadn't stepped foot in the church in a while because I was watching online. 
And someone asked me about my church family, and I just felt this sweet conviction from the Lord. And it was a reminder, you need that community. We never know when something's going to happen. We need that physical church community to be in relationship with. And, and so I had to be like, you're right, Lord. It's time to serve in a community again. It's time to get back involved and be shoulder to shoulder with people, ready to pray with people, ready for people to pray with me. It's important. It is important. It's key. It's foundational as far as surrounding yourself with these tools and ways of having people come around you to pray for you, yes. pray you through things. Again, when I think about this, I feel like there were so many hard questions that you had for God, but was there one in particular that was the toughest question that you had for God, or maybe your biggest why question for God? I mean, there was, you know, why did you allow me to hurt someone? There was there, and it wasn't just hurt my someone. It was, I hurt my parents. I hurt this other family in ways I can't even fathom, right? I, I hurt the first responders who had to help revive this man. I hurt the bystanders who came upon, upon the accident who are maybe have nightmares about the scene that they saw. My daughters who were there at the scene, my son, my children. So why did he allow it to happen was a big question. And if, like I said, if I, if I had chosen to end my life, I would miss out on a lot of beauty and it would affect people in different ways. They would have different obstacles to overcome. It would not have provided fruit. And I've compounded. been to fruit. Yeah, compounded. Yes, that's a good word. Yes. And if I think, I think a big question was, was I being punished for something? Did this happen? as a punishment from something. I still I still think that that was part of me wrestling with my faith. Like what is true about God? What does his scripture say? Was I afflicted? Did this happen to David to teach me a lesson? Did this happen to his children to make them a better person? I had to really wrestle with that. And some of these things I have ultimately decided that I will not know this side of heaven. I, I, and, and, and when I get to heaven, it may not matter. Yeah. Actually, I feel like it won't matter. I feel like when I get to heaven, David will be one of those there. If, if that's a thing to welcome me home. Yeah. Cause the moment he entered heaven's gates, he had no resentment towards me. And mm-hmm. I believe in my, my whole heart. That's where he is because I've had a vision of it. I, I was told that he was a believer. I have to believe that, that, that when he entered there, there was no question that oh, I don't think this was my time to go. You know, he, right, he yeah. entered heaven's gates. There was no bitterness. There was no unforgiveness on his part because it can't enter heaven. Those things can't enter heaven. Right. It's all the work of the people on earth that loved him mm. that have to make sense of it. You know, that, that's, right. that's real. Right. So I did have those questions and I've, I've come to the terms that an acceptance that I, I'm, I will not have all the answers. I can see now, like I can see my children have grown over the last seven years. God's given me a ministry I would have never expected or asked for. I mean, I talk with 
people all over the world and they entrust me with these sacred stories, like heart-wrenching sacred stories. And I'm grateful for them. I try to help them and steer them, point them to Jesus and their own faith journey, their own walk with the Lord, their own wrestling of their faith. And they bless me that I get that opportunity to do that. That next step in healing is giving back when you've come to a place of acceptance in whatever has happened in your life that you've overcome, where God has worked in your life, big to small. That is part of the beauty of giving it back and being a part of the kingdom. When I think about being a believer prior to something happening, we have a framework about God that we can question him about his word and and we know him in a certain way. But as you walked through this dark valley with him, what surprised you the most about him in the midst of such a tragic struggle? What surprised me the most was just the understanding that he was there preparing the way. That is just Let me be specific. I'm the only Christian in my immediate family of my household. So my dad is atheist agnostic, raised in a a Christian home, but went away from the faith when he was in college. My mom was, had just a very dysfunctional idea of religion, you know, pastors are crooks. Uh, Helen Damnation, Southern Baptist, you know, when Fire my grandma, and brimstone. Fire and brimstone, when my <laughs> grandmother and grandfather did take my mom and her siblings, it was often like a tent revival kind of thing. But my grandmother did read the Bible, but she did not share it. She just had probably a very private relationship with God. And so my mom had a very dysfunctional view of church and God and and things like that, right? So then there's me, okay? And in the book, I talk about this, how I would be like, why am I so different? People would ask me, like, you show up to church, uh, little, I'm telling you little, I, I was little and I would say, mom and dad, take me to that church and they would drop me off and pick me up. And then later I was a part of a bus ministry, where the bus would come to the apartment complex, pick us up. But there were things that I remember, whether it was like to get Skittles or whatever candy they were given out, like knowing the books of the Bible, being able to sing them and state them. I remember reciting Psalm 23 and getting candy for it. I remember, I remember distinctly that all sins were the same as 10. So you mean to tell me that when my sister steals my Barbie, it's the same as when I lied about blah, blah, blah. I had to have these things for these battles that were going to happen. When I was asking for a revelation, how he equipped me. When I was nursing Katie, we were youth ministers in Kilgore, Texas at a small Methodist church. And there was a woman that was going to come to our women's group. And everybody was a buzz about it. Oh, you've got to hear this testimony. I am literally still nursing a four-month-old. And it was at the time where it wasn't like public breastfeeding wasn't like a good thing. I was 24 at the time. So I was invited to this, hear this testimony and I was not sure about going. And you would be the time when I would have to nurse her. And I was like, okay, do I throw a blanket over me? 
Anyway, I almost didn't go. But the testimony of that woman, she was wearing pink and her hair was like reddish brown and it was short and it curled under her chin. But she told the story of how her five-year-old son had been run over by her husband. Her husband was in a truck and he backed out of the driveway and her son was killed. Okay. And of course, we're all weeping. And then we learned that her husband, six months later, took his own life. Wow. He just couldn't, couldn't bear the pain. Yeah. And how the community had rallied, but also persecuted. Mm-hmm. Because they were so angry that the father ran over his son. And how could that have happened? And I remember weeping, holding my baby, listening to this testimony. Then I remember praying for revelation and God remembering bringing this, this testimony to, like, to my, again, my forethought. And it's like I was sitting on that couch again holding the same little girl that would once then witness because mm. Katie was 12 when the accident happened. She saw all the things that 12 year olds shouldn't see. Right. It also reminded me that if I didn't take some real care, I would end up just like the husband, even though it wasn't my son who died. The feelings were the same. The burdens were similar. I would still have to depend on the Lord. I, would, I, I was headed that road if I didn't do some things. That's how serious it was. And, and now that I've talked to hundreds of people around the world, all walks of life, neuroscientists, police officers, nurses, fellow teachers, priests, I have three friends who are pastors who have unintentionally killed someone. Mm. All walks of life where we're walking this burden and to know that we're all so fragile and how we share a common enemy. That was pretty powerful. It then gives me the understanding that the Lord is with us all. And if we ask him for revelation, if we give him this whatever painful thing in our life, this painful event, and we ask him, where have you equipped us? I believe he'll show it to you. You speak of these groups that you're in or the people that you've talked to that have suffered similar situations in their life. And there's a lot of healing that can happen when you know you're not alone in that. Mm. You also spoke on Jada Pinkett's show. What was the name of that show? I forgot. Red Table Talk with Jada Pinkett Smith. Grammy, a winning award show. And I was able to go and sit at the red table and share my testimony with over 5 million people who have watched that show and, and sit with the Smith family and talk about how do I deal with the anxiety? The Lord helps me. 
we had a spiritual conversation. You guys get to see like 40 minutes of it. We had four hours of talking about God, about relationships, about how trusting the Lord and our testimony and overcoming the anxiety with depending daily on the Lord and asking for healing, trusting him. Like we had fruitful conversation about marriage and what marriage vows are. We had those too and didn't make the editing. It didn't. I'm so sad probably because of the whole, they had to keep the focus of the show, but in never my wildest dreams. I no. I mean, and I'm grateful for the opportunity that God trusted me with that. That's God using, in my opinion, using what has happened to you, a part of the redemption of your story, and also putting you in a position where you're speaking to people who might not normally get to hear that, or they are isolated from that type, those types of conversations. Did you personally find any healing in that kind of expression? Oh yeah, because it took, it took the shame. I am still guilty. I'm still the person, but I am walking in hope for redemption that I don't have to walk in shame. I've done the worst think to someone like this is the worst that you can do to someone it is the ultimate is it is final right so if I've done that and I don't walk in freedom because I said so because Jennifer said so or because I don't care I walk in freedom because God said this is my gift to you walk in walk in me I share me don't share that you're an overcomer share that I am your strength. I am who you are at the core. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. Getting to be on the show was like a miracle and and exactly where I'm called. I love at-risk students. I love the kids that everyone's given up on. I am drawn to them. When we were in children's ministry, we worked for a children's home. I loved the kids, including one named Daniel, who was a Satanist, like an actual, he brought the book of Satan into the home. He tried to sneak it in like three times and I would have to confiscate it and we would have it destroyed. I loved Daniel. Nobody else, everybody was kind of scared of Daniel. I loved Daniel. When I got to go to the Red Table Talk, there is 100% the majority of that audience does not believe in the God that I believe in. I'm so grateful for that opportunity. People were not just shaking their head and nodding with me and they knew the scriptures better than me. These were people, God allowed me into a space of like hurting people, going into the alleys, going into the places that have people been abandoned, people who have been hurt by the church. And Mm -hmm. I got to come into their home for 30 minutes and say, how do I walk in this freedom? Because God. And Mm -hmm. she allowed it and welcomed it. She allowed it and welcomed this fruitful conversation about God and spiritual, like my beliefs. That's a beautiful process and exchange that she would give you a voice that maybe she doesn't necessarily agree with. It felt like she agreed. It felt like she agreed. She may not agree on everything that I said, but she agreed. And the thing about it, even more so that is just interesting is she allowed, she gives that that space to lots of conversations, but she gave space to when it comes to ultimate suffering, when it comes to very painful, hard 
subjects, where do we turn? Yeah. We have to yeah. turn to a higher power. We have to turn to a creator, an authority above all, a name above all names. You cannot walk this road of healing without that spiritual part of it. You can't. It's a choice we all need to make. Yeah. Yeah. When pain's been overwhelming for me, and I have certainly not gone through anything compared to what you have gone through, but I tend to want to put self-protective things in place. Food is comfort for me. And I have found over the years that when I try to do that, when I try to protect myself, it never ends well because I should have gone to God with that. I should have let God speak into those places or heal those places. What were some of, or did you even go into a self-protective mode? And if so, what sort of things did you use as self-protection? I've actually learned about the science of trauma. So there are parts of our brain. PTSD is a is a brain injury. It's not just mental. It's an actual brain in, injury. There are places of our brain that are going to become overactive, that fight or flight, and there are go, and they're going to become more sensitive, like our hypervigilance type thing, reacting versus responding. Those things are going to be heightened as he created us for that that biological, we have to understand it. I mean, I've gained 50 pounds since my accident. I, I think it, it's not necessarily all just comforting. Sometimes it was denying myself food, denying myself self-care because of the pain I was in, feeling unworthy for those things. Some of it is inflammation. We store trauma in our body. The body keeps the score. We start to feel it in our joints. We start to feel it in our shoulders. We start to gain weight around our stomach area. We have our hips. Some people store trauma in their hips. If we hold on to those painful things, we're storing it in our body. That's why even if I wasn't talking about any of this, I would still have physical effects of that trauma not being released because it has to go somewhere. Negative thoughts are chemical reactions in our brain. If I focus on the negative thoughts, I'm going to change the physical chemistry of my brain. It's scripture backed by science. I wanted to deny myself pleasure because I didn't feel worthy. I wanted to deny myself time. But some of that had to just be a process. When you're walking through a really hard time, you have to have grace with yourself and and you only have so much energy, right? You have this little amount of energy because you're un, you're going through it. Mm -hmm. It's like when you're walking uphill, you walk a little slower, right? When you walk through the sand, you walk a little slower. When you are going up elevation of a mountain, you are journeying through something, you're laboring to just get breath, right? Mm -hmm. So those are things that are normal. We have to give ourselves grace. I did those things. I have consequences of those things. If you are going through a difficult time, you need a holistic approach. You are taking care of you spiritually, physically, and mentally. All three things have to, and sometimes you can't do it all at once. You can heal, but you can't do all of it at once. Sometimes you have to do it 
little bits at a time. The layer right now I'm working on is my physical body, like making sure I have the water, making sure I stretch and release the tension. What stress can I take off? What is going on in my mind? Making sure I eat. And when I eat, I'm giving myself what I need and time to enjoy it. Getting out in nature. That is such medicine for the soul. Seeing water, seeing trees, seeing flowers, being appreciative for those little things. I can't control what's happening around me, but man, I can look at a flower. I can look at the bird. I can look at the bee. I can look at something beautiful in nature and and take the focus back onto God and forget about that worry for a few minutes. So it sounds more like you denied yourself comfort and sort of like punishing yourself Oh, 100%. versus me looking for food for comfort. You have to have grace with yourself. One thing that I've learned now is, especially around the anniversary, I make time for the Sabbath. We, we have to, we have to yeah. for overall health. I allow for time to be like, okay, this is going to be a day where I need to just stay in pajamas and I need to not have to do for anyone else. I need to maybe just fast and pray. I need to fill back up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you think about your identity, because I feel like there's a free fall anytime life shifts, and especially in such a dramatic way, there's a free fall of identity and a real struggle to hang on to what you thought, what you knew. Can you summarize your identity before the incident, what your identity struggled mainly with, and then how would you consider your identity today? I think I had an okay sense of identity that we can all get wrapped up in. Well, I'm a good person. I'm a, I'm a wife and a mom and, you know, a good community member. I'm a Christian. I am um, a teacher. What you do professionally, how you are seen socially, I felt like that was identity a woman. I have children, so I've born children. Those things are characteristics of who we are, but they're not our identity. Our identity is what is eternal. Mm -hmm. That's been the biggest change, because if that were to be true, then the moment the incident, the accident happened, well, I could have lost my marriage. So if your identity is in your marriage or that you're, you know, a coach's wife, well, that career can change. If you're, oh, I'm a, I'm a pastor's wife, I'm a, I'm a doctor's wife. If, if you wrap your identity in that, well, when the enemy attacks it or it changes, well, you're going to have some sh- shifting. You're going to have some rumbling. You're going to have some wrestling. You're going to have some crumbling, right? Because that can change. If my children, God forbid, I lost them. Well, how does that affect? Am I am still their mother, but they're not here for me to mother. Or if I wrap it up in mothering them, when they leave the nest and they no longer need me, they are self-sufficient adults. How does that change and and hurt my identity? How am I going to grieve? If I have a financial change, well, my identity is in my wealth and these things that I have. Well, how is that going to change if I lost those things? Unintentionally, I had all these things that what I thought I defined identity is. But now 
they were all attacked. Right? Yeah. No footing. On every because, level. Right. Because I could not be a Proverbs 31 wife when I am going through depression and don't feel worthy of love. Don't feel worthy of love, intimacy. I don't feel like that I am even the woman that he married. I rejected it, love, because I didn't feel worthy. Put up those walls, as you said, put up those safeguards, because if I don't feel worthy of it, well, I'm going to try and push it, push back. I have my children, but I couldn't take care of them. I couldn't even take care of myself for a season. I, I couldn't be loving and patient and just make them a sandwich and get their sippy cup and tuck them in at night and say their prayers and do the baths and do the folders and do the schedules. I literally, that was all too much. So that part of my identity was, it struggled. I want to say I'm a good person, but I, there are people who think I'm not a good person. How does that, right? So all of those things can change, but what is eternal is the fact that God made me uniquely and wonderfully made. I am a daughter of Christ. He has a purpose and plan for my life that I am his. Those things of my identity will never change when the world does. That is who my soul will be when I enter into heaven and my earthly body stays here. So That's that understanding yeah. changed. I often say it's what I learned when I went through my dark valley is that whatever you attach yourself to, the deeper you attach yourself to that role, that title, that label, the deeper the free fall when the identity is in question, because there are many deaths attached to mm-hmm. any t- sort of trauma and oh, the yeah. fallout is many la- levels, many layers. And so in that, that's where it's for me, the identity issues become complicated and questionable and trying to find your way through them and redefining everything like you're saying and putting it more onto that su- that supernatural what I call supernatural because you know it's that intimacy with Christ whom we can't su- touch see feel so to me that's a supernatural type of love a couple of closing questions are you able to summarize what this experience has taken from you and that could be good or bad There is a big list of what the enemy or, well, the event, the accident has taken from me. It took from me the innocence of, oh, this, if you're a good person, this, this world is good, ultimately good things, good things will happen, you know, and it's way more complex than that. It's taken judgment away from me, though. It's given me compassion. I tried to take my peace. I I have to daily work for to keep my anxiety at bay. Sometimes it's harder than other days. Yeah. I'm not on any medication right now. I don't say that to boast, but I know it's always something I revisit from time to time, like depending on what's happening, to be able to breathe. It's taken some things like I'm just very aware of how quickly tragedy can happen 
especially when driving, especially when talking to young drivers, talking to my own son who's learning to drive. There is real fear there because I just know I've been entrusted, like I said, with so many stories that I it's so an awareness without it overcoming or overtaking me. There's a mm-hmm. fine line, yeah. you know, to being aware versus fearful. It's taken. I can't take back time that was stolen when I was in the depression. Can't take that back. Can't get it back. Or when I was angry, can't get that back. Can't undo certain conversations that I've had in my past about the accident or thoughts that I've had to, you know, wrestle with. I can't take that back. I can't, can't take back the pain that I caused other people. I feel like it's, it's given more than it's taken. That's interesting. What has it given you? It's given me more compassion for all people. It's given me a very real understanding of the gospel. It's given me a real understanding of what it means to trust. And not everybody should be called to this. It is not easy. But to, I mean, it just has. You, There's <laughs> the testing of your faith produces perseverance is not an easy road. I think it's given me a true identity in Christ, right? I mean, there's just things I would not know. People I would have never met. And I'm not just talking about Jada Pinkett Smith. I'm talking about all the people that have trusted me with their story. And God brings them to me in the most miraculous, I can't make this stuff up way. From a person at the bank who suddenly, like, I feel a nudge from the Holy Spirit, and she says, oh, my goodness, my my boyfriend had an accident that killed someone three years ago, and, and he, his anniversary was over Easter weekend, and he was a wreck. And, and I said, okay, I have some resources for you. You know, I go to a book signing, and I'm feel tug from the Lord to talk to this random woman and say, Hey, do you like memoirs? And she's trying to get away from me because she's not interested in buying my book. And I find out that her sister had an accident two years ago and they're still in the legal process. So I would never, ever, ever ask for this road. If you could go back and talk to 18-year-old Jennifer or 24-year-old me sitting on that couch in the women's Bible study, in my flesh, I still don't know that I would say, yes, Lord, if I'm being completely honest. But what would I have missed? So in that, I say, thank you, Lord, that you are the author of my life and not me. This has been a very humbling conversation when I think about the weight of your journey. And yet God has ministered and carried you in every step of the way. His patience, his kindness, his beauty. Mercy. And the fact. Yes, mercy. 
his presence. You know what? That's one thing that I learned is that his presence is everything, everything. Yes. Because life does take twists and turns Mm -hmm. and that's his presence. that's going to make the difference of that. I almost want to do another podcast episode with you in a couple of years, just to see that redemption and that continued healing and Mm. all the stuff that God's still up to in your life. The fact that you're a beacon to a lot of people that are going through similar situations. Is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you want to share or just a parting word that you'd like to share with listeners today? Yes. And thank you so much for allowing me the space. I hope that it also comes across that every time I do speak, I hope that it doesn't just encourage people who are like me, but maybe you're having to forgive someone like me. Maybe I'm the Judas in your life. I'm the person that's, if, if I need to take on that image for just a second and be the person that hurt you, if you never heard the person that hurt you say, I'm sorry, you know, hear it from me. I, I feel like I, I really do want so much to minister to people like me or who are struggling with guilt and shame, you know, feeling unworthy. That is my ministry. But if you're also having to forgive someone like me, then I pray that I can be a voice for that and speak a word into you too, that it's both ways, both sides, I care for both sides. And I, and I acknowledge how hard it is. I do appreciate you just listening and man, I'm so grateful to the Lord. And gosh, when you said that, maybe we, we revisit still feels unfathomable. God willing, I'll be here to see it, you know, because I know how fragile life is, you know, but I just, I remember when a day felt hard. I remember when a month, I remember, I remember November 4th really well thinking, oh my goodness, I just survived a month. I remember what it felt to reach October 4th, you know, 2017 and just being an just shock and thinking, gosh, five years. And now I'm looking at seven years this October and I just can't, I think of 10 and I'm just like still in awe. I meet other people and their accident was 40 years ago and I'm in awe. You've been a gracious and kind guest. And I know that will bless some hearts today. And I'm very excited about that. The fact that you would even extend yourself to those who need to forgive someone who has harmed them speaks of that compassion that God has done in your heart and in your life through this situation. It's not easy. That's super. It has to be the miracle of it. Yeah. 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 I'm grateful. Well, thank you, sweet woman. I definitely appreciate you today. Oh, thank you. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. 
www.transparentwomenpodcast.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.